was walking away, sir. Lost on a lonely road. Yes, I was chasing a highlight. Trying to satisfy my soul. Your lies I believed in. Left me crying like the rain. Then I saw lightning from heaven. Now I've never been the same. I'm
So let me, let me have you do something today. Because I said we're moving back to this thing where we're interacting with one another. So, so turn around to someone next to you, either in front of you, behind you, someone across from you, and just give them a good old wave. Can you do that? Just give them a good old wave. All right. Now say this. I'm glad that you are here today. Nice and loud. Even if you're not glad that the person is here today, say it anyway. Speaking into existence. Hey, we're so glad you're here today and you're joining us on one of the special days of the year for us. And we're glad you're here. We're going to talk about a lot of things today and we're going to, we're going to look into vision today. And so we're excited about that and we're glad that you're here. You're not here by accident, whether you're here in the seats or at home. Uh, you're not here by accident. We're glad you're here. A couple of things I want to tell you as we uh, continue into worship is, is giving is a part of worship. Now, maybe you didn't know that. Giving is a part of worship. So when we give here, it's just we give out of kind of our hearts uh, overflow for what God has done to us. And so in this generosity, in this uh, generosity week, in this Thanksgiving week, we give as worship. And so you know uh, there are a number of ways you can give. We, uh, today, we started to put little giving joy tables at the end of the aisle, so you'll see a joy table. So if you want to give by dropping something in that joy table, you can do that. Uh, that way, there's a connection card that you can connect with there at that table, or you can go on the kiosk as you leave here, or you can text SFGIVE. 95, 94,000, excuse me, and give that way. So there's plenty of ways that you can give. Christmas is coming. Now, let, let me, I'm going to take a poll here today. How many people already have your Christmas decorations up? All right, there's a few of you. Okay, good. Now, see, I'm a guy who waits to December the 1st, right? I, I wait till Thanksgiving is over. Now, here's the problem with that. I don't get as much enjoyment. It seems like I'm putting them up. And then I'm taking them down. Because in our community, you cannot leave the Christmas decorations up until March. That does not work in our community. The neighbors will start to look at you funny. Well, here's the deal. Christmas is coming. And so we hope that you have gotten our Christmas, uh, our Christmas information. I want to highlight decorating days. If you're interested in helping us decorate on the 29th and the 30th, we would love to have you. We'll have some food there. And we're just decorating the place and getting the place ready for Christmas. We also want to remind you of Christmas at the Fields. And that's going to be an amazing event. You're going to enjoy that. You can get more information about that online. And then we want to remind you about four Spotsy. Remember that we're here for Spotsy. And for Christmas, a couple of things that we're doing to be here for Spotsy is we're doing socks at the Brisbane Center. So the Brisbane Center is the, is the center here in, for people who are home challenged or homeless folks. And one of the things that we hear most of all is people need socks, especially in the wintertime. So we're doing socks. And so you can just buy your socks at Walmart, Target, wherever you want to buy them. And you can drop them off at the four Spotsy kiosk. And we are doing um, what we call uh, these gifts for Smith Station Elementary School. So we went and asked teachers, how can we give you a Christmas present? And we had them take some of the stuff that they need for supplies and give those to us so that we can bless our schools. And so I believe we have a couple more big ask situations there where they've given us some big things that they would need. And uh, we just encourage you to go out to the Four Spotsy kiosk, pick one of those up, and bless someone, bless someone, some school 
a teacher in her classroom today. I am so glad you're here. I'm, I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready to worship. I, I, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. I, I, somebody out there, God's been good to you? Anybody like that? Yeah, if God's been good to you, well, let's just give them all we got. So let's stand again and let's worship together. God bless you guys. Love you.
more praise. He's always worthy. How awesome is that, that we have a God that who is for us. And because of that truth, nothing is against us. And I don't know about you guys, but that gives me a reason to sing. That gives me a reason to praise with a heart of thankfulness. Can we be grateful this morning? Come on. Wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this bag of bones. Yes, I try with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. Just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know. He told me that I was not alone. He picked me up, he turned me around, he placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior, because he healed my heart, he changed my name. No choice but to believe my doubts are burning like ashes in the wind. Say so long to my old friends, burning in bitterness. Yeah, just keep moving. No, you ain't welcome here.
one of the ways that we worship. You know, the Bible talks about making this joyful sound to God as an act of worship, as an act of praise for all that he has done. And that's the thing, as we praise, it gets our eyes off of ourselves and it magnifies the God that we serve. So can we do that together? suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. We're the I won't be formed by feelings I'll hold fast 
the God who is magnified in our lives. And so, Father, here we are today. We're here to worship you. And we believe that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so, Father, as we worship and as we live, as we breathe, as we interact, Lord, we want you magnified. We want you lifted up. We, we just believe that when you're lifted up in our lives, it draws other people. And so, Father, would you be magnified in our lives? Would you, would you, be, would you be magnified in our homes? Would you be magnified on our jobs? Would you be magnified in our schools, in the sports teams, in the boardrooms? in our marriage beds, would you be magnified? Would you be lifted up? Would a confused, a confused and messed up world needs to see is Christ magnified in us? And so today, Father, it's our prayer, be magnified. And sometimes, Father, that means whatever we need to put aside and whatever we need to get rid of and, and whatever we need to let go so that you can be magnified in our lives. Father, point this out, that out to us. Because first and foremost, Father, we want people to see Jesus in us, in our walking, in our talking, in our going, in our coming. And so, Father, that means that sometimes we got to sit down and let you stand up in our lives. So, Father, would you help us do that? So that the world may know that you came, that you died, that you got up on Easter Sunday morning so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Father, thank you. Thank you for being magnified in our lives, in our homes, in our community, for all that you do, Father. Even as we surrender, we'll give you all the thanks, the honor, and the glory. Oh, Father, be magnified in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is one of those special vision Sundays in the life of our church, and uh, so today we celebrate uh, this season of Thanksgiving, and for those of you who are new, every, uh, every season, every time this, this time of year, we have this Thanksgiving emphasis, and here's what happens in this Thanksgiving emphasis. We just want to give thanks. We want to be a generous people and give thanks and give back to the Lord. And so we have this offering, and, and uh, we'll talk about that later. But I want to introduce you to Dr. Dave Bowser. Uh, Dave, come on down. Dave is, uh, I've known Dave for a long time. Now, you won't believe this because he, he looks a lot younger uh, than he is. But when I was a teenager, Dave was a youth group leader. And, uh, and he, was, uh, he had to deal with people like myself and, my, and, and the guys from Washington Grace Church. And, uh, and, and so I met him. I think I, the first time I met him, we were at a teen camp. And it was called the Promised Land. And uh, we only got to go back to that camp. We only went one time because they didn't want us back after that. I think they, right. got, they, they kicked us out. 
But that's where I met Dave, and, and I've known him down through the years. He's now serving as the bishop or the district superintendent for the uh, churches of the Nazarene in, in Maryland and D.C. and Delaware and a little bit of Pennsylvania. We call it the Mid-Atlantic District. And so uh, that's where he serves now. But, but what, what really um, connects with me is he has a missional pastor's heart. And I've learned a lot about being a missional pastor from Dave. Dave was in Flint, Michigan, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, was in Flint, Michigan, and maybe he'll talk about some of that stuff. Um, but, but he's just an amazing, amazing person. There's only been one person that I've had speak at churches three times in my tenure as a senior pastor, and uh, that's been Dave, because uh, I believe in him. I believe in what he has to say. And uh, I heard this morning he's going to uh, share a message that I believe that will touch our hearts and uh, bring us closer to what God wants for us as a church. Would you give a warm Salem Fields welcome to Dave Bowser? Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Your pastor told you the story that I served as a youth worker responsible for youth camps, responsible for activities on the Mid-Atlantic District when I was a younger pastor. Pastor James was a, a teenager, as he said. Just after I was elected district superintendent, I was beginning to travel to the various churches, and a, a man came up to me, and um, he came straight up to me after the service, and I didn't know what he was going to say. And here's what he said to me. He said, are you David Bowser? I said, yes, I am. He said, were you the district youth leader and he gave me the years. I said, yes I, yes, I was. And he said, I owe you a big apology. And I said, really? And uh, he said, yeah, I owe you an apology for something I did when I was a young person on this district and you were district youth worker. And I had this puzzled look on, his, on my face and he said to me, do you recognize me? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. It's been a number of years. He said, never mind, and turned and walked away. <laughs> I thought, there you go. I don't know what he did. I have no idea. I'd love to know, but maybe I shouldn't know. Well, thanks for the privilege of being here today and to be with you and to share this message with you. The title of the message is A Man Named Shirley, Bruce Springsteen, and a Crazy Church. Now, this might not be the most spiritual title you've ever heard for a sermon, but it is a, it is a title uh, of a sermon that I'd like to share with you this morning as we think about what it means to be a missionary church. Every church lives between now and then. Every church lives between this present moment and the, the next moment. And here's what I know about that moment. His next will mess with our now. That's the way God works. His next will always disturb the now. And if you're a person that likes to be a camper Christian, that is the person that simply says, I really like where I'm at and I don't really need to go any further, your life is going to be disturbed. 
This morning we're going to look at an incredibly unusual church. It's a church that always was hovering between the now and the next. It is a church that is crazy. It is the Macedonian church, and they were not known for their incredible worship. They were not known for their attendance patterns. They were not known for their preaching. They were not known for their outreach efforts. They were not known for who attended that church. They were known for their generosity. They were known for their giving. They were known for their generosity that overflowed and permeated everything that they did. They were known for their money and their giving patterns. And that's what made them a very crazy church. We tend not to get a lot of teaching these days in, in the North American church about money because it makes people mad. Um, I've yet to find a person that was offended by teaching on money who was faithful to the church and giving money. People that mostly are offended are those that, that don't faithfully participate in an act of worship that we call generosity. But I've come to discover in my journey that a missionary church is a giving church. Salem Fields has a reputation. You have a reputation of being a giving church. And over the past years, perhaps as you think about your journey as a Christian, you probably could count on one hand the sermons that you might have heard specifically about the issue of giving and the subject of money is one that often is very uncomfortable. But when you trace it out in the pages of Scripture, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses in those first three books of the New Testament deals specifically with money. Matter of fact, if you think about it, of the 29 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them in some way reflect the area of money and dealing with the financial resources that have been trusted to us. And so money and the issue of generosity is, is throughout the pages of the New Testament. And when you begin to look at it carefully, this is something that we ought to give our attention to. And every once in a while, I don't know if it's you or not, but every once in a while, we see a passage of Scripture, and when we see that passage of Scripture, it arrests our attention, and it causes us to ask the question, what, is, what does this mean? So if you have your Bibles with you or your, or your tablet or your telephone or however you brought your scriptures with you this morning, let me invite you to turn in your scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read the first nine verses. And if you did not bring a Bible or you did not bring a tablet or if you didn't bring anything, it's going to be on the screen and you'll be able to follow as we go along. So we'll pick the reading up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Eight, and we're going to be in verse 1. Hear these words, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, 
to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And this passage of Scripture causes me to ask this question How do I best use my resources to serve God and others? How do I best use my resources to serve God and others? When I was in seminary preparing for ministry, we were given very specific instructions about how to conduct baptisms. And we were given these instructions so that when we became involved in pastoral ministry, when it was time, to conduct baptism services, we would be able to instruct the candidates not only in the theological importance of baptism, but we would also be able to instruct them in just the practicalities of it. Things like make sure that you wear certain kind of clothing, make sure you have nothing in your pockets, make sure that when you step into the water uh, that you're very careful that you don't slip and fall, all of those kind of instructions. I read recently about a man that was being baptized by immersion, and he was going to be completely inundated by the water. And as he was stepping down the steps into the pool of water, he remembered that he had failed to listen to the instructions of the pastor who had told him to remove everything from his pockets. He realized that his billfold was in his back pocket, and he didn't know what to do. And so just as he was stepping down the steps into the water, he reached into his pocket and slipped his wallet up on the ledge of the baptistry. When the pastor saw what he did, he said to him, either keep your wallet in your pocket and let me baptize it with you, or you won't be baptized today. So that's pretty harsh. To be baptized is to say that everything that we have belongs to him. And when I think about this church, I think about this Macedonian church, and the churches in Macedonia were located in the Greek cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and there were some other places perhaps in the region. And, and this church, these series of churches were, were Greek churches, primarily Gentile, that is non-Jewish churches, and the scripture, particularly in the first five verses that I read, we learned some things about these Macedonian Christians, and my question is, could they be said of Salem Fields Community Church in the same way that they were said of the Macedonian churches? As I read this passage of Scripture, they were developing into a they gave church. That's how they were described, they gave. And I wonder if it would be appropriate for us to think for a moment about what it might be like for this church to continue that process of giving so that when somebody says, tell me about Salem Community, Salem Fields Community Church, uh, people would say, they gave. When you look at this passage of Scripture in verses 1 and 2, we realize that they gave generously. 
They gave generously. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The Macedonian churches were poor by the standards of the world, but they were extremely generous. They were open-handed with their wealth, with other Christians that were in need. You say, well, what was the great need? Well, there was an incredible famine that had hit Jerusalem, and it had impacted the church there, and the Macedonian church responded. And even though we read about the Macedonian church that were experiencing tough circumstances and extreme financial need, they were willing to give to others. They were, they were encouraged to be faithful in their giving. And the Macedonian Christians helped despite the fact that they had problems of their own. And even though they had difficulty in their own financial condition, they gave to others. The Macedonian Christians helped despite the fact that they had problems of their own. They themselves were extremely poor. They had endured a great deal of persecution. In many ways, they should have been the one receiving the help. But instead, they were the ones giving it. Don't show your hands, but have you ever thought to yourself, and our pastor is always talking to us about giving and offering so that others will have a need met. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish there was a church somewhere that on some Sunday they would take an offering and send it to our church because we need help. The Macedonian people gave generously and willingly to help the Christians in Jerusalem. The scripture text doesn't suggest it, but they never ask, well, do you think they really deserve it? Is this a situation that they've gotten themselves into and if they've gotten themselves into it, they should get themselves out of it? No, they gave they gave very faithfully. But if you go on and look in, the verse, in verse 3, they gave sacrificially. That is to say, they gave even though they were experiencing extreme poverty. The, the language in this passage of Scripture is very interesting. It, that word means rock bottom destitution. You say, I'm not sure if I understand that. Let me see if I explain it this way. Payday is Friday. And the resources are already limited by Tuesday. That's, that's where they found themselves. The word that's used here is the word that's used to describe a beggar who has absolutely nothing and no hope of getting anything. Yet despite their situation, they were willing to give. So sacrificial giving has nothing to do with your income or your bank account. It has everything to do with your commitment to being obedient to what God says for you to do. If you go on and look in verses 3 and 4, they gave voluntarily. They gave as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. I was reading a story this week about Leighton Farrell, who was the minister of Highland Park Church in Dallas for many years. You may not recognize that name, but a very substantial church. And early in his ministry, he tells of a man who came to him when they were both very, very young. And when they met together, this man and this pastor made a covenant that they would tithe on their income. They would tithe 10%. 
They were both young and neither of them had much money, but things changed very dramatically for the man, not so much for the pastor. And the man that talked to the pastor who established the covenant with the pastor that, that they would both tithe on their income found it very easily to tithe $1,000 when he earned $10,000. Matter of fact, $10,000 was fairly easy the year that he earned $100,000. And $100,000 was a little more difficult when he earned a million dollars. But the year that he earned $6 million, he found it very, very difficult to write that check for $600,000 to the church. So he called his longtime minister friend. They had not seen each other in about 20 years, and the minister had moved on to another church. But the man asked to see the minister with whom he had established this covenant that he would continue to faithfully give in tithes to the church. And they met at a restaurant. The pastor had no idea what was, what was up, and the man sat down at the booth, and he said, I need to be let out of the covenant this tithing business has got to stop. It was fine when my tithe was $1,000, but now it is $600,000. Pastor, you've got to do something. The pastor stepped out of the booth and knelt down right in the restaurant and bowed his head and began to pray. The man was embarrassed because he couldn't imagine what the pastor was praying silently about for so long. And eventually he tapped him on the shoulder and he said to the pastor, what are you doing? He said, I hope you're praying that God would let me out of this covenant. The pastor said, no. He said, I'm praying that God will reduce your income back to the point where you felt comfortable to pay your tithe. You say, well, that's a crazy story. But I want to tell you, when we learn to give voluntarily, God opens up the windows for us the Macedonians gave freely and willingly. Matter of fact, in verse 4, it says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, I, I don't know about your church, but all the churches I've ever pastored, I've never had somebody come to me and say, Pastor, oh, please, oh, please, can we participate and give more money? We just want to give more money. We just want to give more money. Matter of fact, usually what happens is when it's time to take an offering, people kind of step back. These Macedonians did not have much money, yet they pleaded with the apostle to take what they had and use it. Recently, I was in a church board meeting, and it was a, a church that had been fairly contentious, and I wasn't sure what was going on. And finally, at, at the meeting, I said, uh, can you talk to me about ways that God is moving in your church? And I was hoping just, just for one activity of the Spirit of God in the life of their church. And finally, a man kind of leaned back in his chair and he crossed his arms. That's never a good sign. And he said this to me. He said, well, Dr. Bowser, I just want to tell you, we've stopped taking an offering on Sundays in our church. I was shocked. I thought, how do you pay your pastor and pay your mortgage and pay your utilities. Then he went on to tell me they felt like the offering was an interruption in their worship, the worship flow. And then he kind of smiled and relaxed his arms and he said, I'll tell you what we've done. We've put a box in the back on the wall and as people go out and exit the worship space, 
we encourage them to give as their last act of worship before they leave the service. And I thought to myself, that's genius. Then he said this. He said, our giving has gone up 30% this year. On the district where I serve, we have a number of Latino churches and Haitian churches. And I love how they take the offering. They put, a, they put an offering plate right in front and they say, okay, it's time to give. And everybody has to get up and move forward and give. And I'm talking about peer pressure. But here's the, here's the most incredible thing. They have little children and the parents give them an offering and they walk to the front and they drop the offering in the plate and they're being trained early to be generous people. Verse 5 says this, they gave wholeheartedly. They exceeded our expectations, the scripture says. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. You see, their heart went first and their generosity followed. If our hearts are truly devoted to the master, if our hearts are truly committed to God, then the act of worship and giving will follow. And so I've been wrestling with this passage of scripture, knowing I would be here to share this with you today. And so I've been asking myself this key question, and it's a, it's a simple question, and that is, how does God accomplish his purposes today? How does God work today? And I believe that a missionary church is God's primary way of accomplishing his purposes on earth. Let me tell you a story. The year was 1653, and Oliver Cromwell had placed a, his own stern version of Christianity upon, upon his people and upon the pastors of England. Matter of fact, it was so difficult that many churches fell into disuse and disrepair. Many pastors were run out of town, and, the, and, and, and flocks lost their shepherd. Many people were removed, pastors were removed from their office as pastor, and they were forbidden to practice their faith. And in that time in England, only three churches were built. One of them was paid for by Sir Robert Shirley, a man named Shirley, paid for one of those churches. And the church that he paid for was the Stanton Herald Church. And as the donor, he wanted to make sure that it served as a, as a place, as a house for the Lord and a refuge for some of the earthly shepherds that had been displaced from their churches. And the construction of this church did not please Cromwell. Matter of fact, it made Cromwell so angry that he sent Shirley a message. And let me just paraphrase it. It simply went like this. If you have money to build a church, you have money to help in the war effort. Matter of fact, the money you used to build that church could be used to build a ship in the war. Sir Robert Shirley thought that paying for a church was more important than underwriting a regiment for war, and he refused to allocate his resources. He just simply told Cromwell, I will not do it. And for his refusal, a man named Shirley was sent to the Tower of London where his enemies poisoned him, and at age 23, he died. So that's a very bleak story for a man named Shirley. And in truth, he would be a forgotten point in the history of England if it had not been for the people of his parish 
that benefited from the church that he had built. This church, if you were to go there today, there is an inscription in the stone, and it says this, and you'd find this very interesting. In 1653, when all things sacred in the kingdom were either profaned or demolished, this church was built to do the best of things in the worst of times. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church just like that, that does the best of things in the worst of times. Don't look now, but we are in the worst of times. God has raised up this church, a missionary church, to do the best of things in the worst of times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul uses some language that I want to I want you to hear as we set up and think about not just, um, not just this um, man named Shirley, but a crazy church, but to set up and think about Bruce Springsteen. I know that sounds super spiritual on a Sunday morning. But this is the passage of Scripture that says this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Missionary churches are generous churches, and it is the generosity of everyone that make a difference. Recently, I was watching a Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band concert. Don't look at me like you've never listened to Bruce Springsteen. Don't act like this is a shock, because many of us here could name the songs. And I saw something that helped me think about generosity. Matter of fact, it, it kind of reminded me of your church. And it reminded me of the goal of $70,000. It also says something about how a, a missionary church might operate. Bruce Springsteen is with his band, and they're going to play a song that they have not rehearsed before. It's a song they used to play years and years ago. I want you to watch his band, and I want you to watch Bruce Springsteen as he tries to get in the right key, set the right tone, and the sound of the song that they're gonna play, watch. Every night we try, we try to pull one out that we haven't played since we were, I don't know, 16. If maybe ever. So let's see how we're doing this, hold on. Let's get a good key.
see what's happening here? The leader is trying to convince the band of the song they're going to sing, the tempo of the song, the rhythm of the song, the key that the song is going to be in. It's interesting because the leader hears this $70,000 goal ringing through his head in the Philippines and Nigeria and India. And we're the band and we're the, we're the congregation. Bruce Springsteen is trying to convince his band that are all very capable, understand music theory. He's trying to get them on the same page. Watch what happens. Try it, boys. sung the song yet, but you can hear it, can't you? He hasn't sung a word of the song. He's just singing it. And did you notice how the people in the audience began to smile and they began to react and they began to respond as they began to get the picture of what's about to happen? And when I see this, I, I'm reminded of, of what Bruce Springsteen said to his band, try it, boys. Follow me. This is the vision. Then he says, here we go, listen now. sudden you begin to be swept up in the music. You begin to realize this is going to happen and the song is playing and the vision is unfolding and you begin to get the idea that I'm a part of this and I have something to contribute. And he then begins to invite each of the instruments to play and this is where it gets very interesting because without any music, without anything in front of them, just listening to the vision of the leader and listening to the song, each of them begin to contribute. Watch.
This is a picture of the church functioning as a missionary church. Every person playing the instrument that God has given them and being generous with that resource. You say to yourself, I can't play the saxophone, I can't sing, I can't play. Let me show you one more clip, and you're going to have to catch it very, very quick. It involves a cowbell. How many of you thought you'd see Bruce Springsteen in church this morning? In between the first service and the second service, we got a message. Somebody was watching online and wanted to know if Bruce Springsteen was here this morning. The answer is no. Could I just say to you, every person in this church is needed. Every person in the church can be generous with the resources that God has given you. Salem Fields Community Church and Stanton Herald Church are the same church. You do not have an inscription outside as Stanton Herald Church does, but if it was there, could it be said just like this? Instead of the year 1653, what would it be like in the year of 2021 when all things sacred in the kingdom were either profaned or demolished? Salem Fields Community Church was built to do the best of things in the worst of times. Think about that. That takes a missionary church that is generous, not just to the elementary school, not just to the Commonwealth of Virginia, but to the outer reaches of India and the Philippines and Nigeria. And can you believe God has invited us to partner with him in that task? May God bless you. Thank you, David. I love that Bruce Springsteen illustration. When he first played it and Bruce was trying to find his key, I was like, where is this going? But you see what happens when everybody joins in, when everybody's using their gift, gifts, when everybody's participating, something that sounds really terrible in the beginning begins to be something that is just amazing. And so what we're doing these days at Salem Fields is we're, we're trying to move forward this vision of people belonging, believing, and becoming. And not just here in Spotsylvania County, but around the globe. 
the Thanksgiving offering is not something that's for here. We're doing for Spotsy here and different things like that here. But we're talking about taking the message of hope to 156 world areas, including Nigeria and India and the Philippines. You see some of the things that are happening in these places because of you, because of your generosity. Manu Kubadi, who is leading our work in India, and he's watching today. How you doing, Manu? He's watching today. He, he constantly is in communication with me. And, and, and it's been amazing to see how, how pastors that couldn't eat and their families couldn't eat because of the pandemic and because people are day laborers and they work during the day and because everything was closed down, they couldn't get work, which meant they couldn't eat. And, and because you gave last year in the Thanksgiving offering, he could take food and he could bring food to those pastoral families. He could bring food to children because you gave. And in and, and Nigeria, the, the ministry that we've been involved in with James and Charity for the longest and, and the soccer camps that they're doing there, things are really, really tough in Nigeria. Things are really tough. And there's political unrest there. There's religious unrest there. They also have COVID-19 happening there. But because you continue to give, because you gave last year, they are able to educate and, and give kids a place to, to kind of experience being a kid. And they've been able to feed kids there because you gave. And then our newest, our newest partnership with Pastor Kelly, our global our global campus pastor in the Philippines. I don't know if you've been keeping up with them, but they got their first safe house and they're renovating it. And they're young kids who need shelter, who need safety from human trafficking, will be able to come out of that lifestyle and come to that safe house and, and get a good job and be free because you give. And not just those three places, but we partner with a number of churches in 156 world areas so that people all around the world may belong, believe, and become. And so you know how this works. There's, there's a card there on the seat in front of you, uh, near you somewhere. And that card, we're, we're just asking you to make a pledge, a pledge between you and God. Here's the deal. I don't, you don't have to sign it because I don't want to know who did it. I just want to know where we are in the pledge giving. If you want to, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. You can do it online. There are a number of ways you can get the information to us, but we want you to get it to us so we know how we're doing. Um, here's one of the creative ways that I, I've decided to do it. Meta, Meta, the new Facebook. Anybody know that Facebook changed its name to Meta? Well, well here's the deal. They're going to match up to $8 million dollars given to nonprofits uh, up until Giving Tuesday. Now, this is interesting. What, what are the chances that you could give something and have your money doubled by Facebook? So here's what I did. I have a site. If you go to my Facebook account, I have, I have a site there called uh, Salem Fields Global uh, Connection. And, and I've had, I have a goal of $5,000. I already have like, uh, I already have a like thousand in, in two days. And so here's the deal. I just, I just, I'm just trying to get my friends, the people who know me. I mean, who wouldn't want to give to kids? Who wouldn't want to give so the kids can eat, so the kids can be safe, so the kids can, can live somewhere in, in, in a positive environment? Who wouldn't want to do that? People are giving all the time. Why not 
to Selwyn Fields Global Connect. And so even if I raise 2,500, it becomes 5,000 because it gets doubled. Maybe you have some friends on Facebook. Maybe this is a creative way that God would use you. Here's the deal. I don't know what God wants to do. Maybe God will have you do something else creative. But here's the deal. I believe that the $70,000 that we will raise this year between now and March the 31st will connect, will allow us to connect with some people so they belong, believe, and become. And I, and I, and I, I believe with all my heart um, that what we do here impacts Spotsy and beyond. I believe there are people who will eat because you give. I mean, I, I got pictures I can show you. There are people who will be in safety because you give. These are our folks. These are folks that we support. James and Charity, Manu Kubadi, you know, Pastor Kelly. These are people you support. These people you help do the mission. I'm so glad that this is a generous church. It was a generous church way before I got here. I'm just, I'm just kind of stepping in the step, footsteps of folks who preceded me. So sometime this week, uh, fill that card out, drop it in the offering, bag, the offering box if you want to. Anyway, it, however you do it, get it to us so we know where we are. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for all that you do for Spotsy and Beyond. You have, you have a, a pastor much like Bruce Springsteen that sometimes just sits back and watches a generous church in action and thanks God for you. So there are a lot of things that I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for the, to be a pastor of a church that's just generous. I thank God for you. I thank God for what he's doing in your life. And I, and I thank God that... Uh, that he's going to do even more. As we say, Lord, be exalted in our lives. Let me pray for you and let you go. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this word. This, this is a, this good word. Father, have you long to be exalted in our lives. You long to be magnified in our lives. And Father, part of that is just us saying, God, here I am. Be magnified in me. And Father, I realize that when I surrender my life to you, you get my wallet and my investments. You get my checkbook. You get my cash app. You get everything else that, that belongs to me. And so, Father, would you help us to be the kind of people that you can trust with folks all over the globe who have no place to belong, You've created them to belong with you in the body, but they have no place to belong. Thank you for entrusting us to make that possible in their lives. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing this very day, and what you are going to do through the resources of your people in the days to come. We love you and we give you praise. Amen and amen. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Thanks for coming. Love you guys. Have a great one.